Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, April 20th, and today I'm speaking with Bill Cohan for the latest on Elon Musk's attempt to buy Twitter. He might be the world's richest man, but can he find a way to finance a deal? And later on in the show, Teddy Schleifer stops by to discuss Peter Thiel's attempt to become a kingmaker in the Republican Party. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy 420 to all who celebrate uh, here in Venice, California. I'm sure there are plenty who celebrate. Uh, I am joined today by Bill Cohan, who has been following the ups and downs and twists and turns of the Elon Musk Twitter saga. Bill, you've uh, written about what's happening in Twitter's boardroom lately. You have expressed some thoughts on Elon's motivations here. I think we both agree that he's uh, doing what the world's richest man might do if the world's richest man was kind of just a social media troll, (laughs) which is he just wants to take over Twitter for fun and not necessarily profit. What is the latest right now with Twitter? So, you know, the big hurdle for Elon to get over is to prove to the Twitter board that he has the financing for his $43 billion deal. I mean, he's offered all cash, so that means he's got to have all cash, Peter, and $43 billion is a lot of money. You know, he doesn't, he only needs really 40 because he already spent $2.6 billion buying mm-hmm. his 9.1% stake. So to buy the other 90.9% of the company that he doesn't own, he needs about another $40 billion. So when he filed his quote offer with the SEC or when he essentially made it known that he had done this, he said that it was subject to financing. So you know, subject to financing for an all-cash deal is akin to saying, hey, guys, you know, I'm just having fun here. I'm just like with a cat with a ball of string. Um, (laughs) So the question is, is it more than that? Is it real? Is he real? Does he really want to buy the company? And if he really wants to buy the company, then he has to show me the money. He has to show Goldman Sachs, who's representing the Twitter board, that he really has the money. And so that's what's happening now. My sense 
is that there's some amount of money he can raise in debt based on the cash flow of Twitter. There's some amount of money he can raise based on, you know, leveraging his $175 billion worth of Tesla stock. But that's, that's a very uh, precarious situation because, you know, some of it's already probably margined. Uh, he probably, you know, has already gotten loans against some of that stock. Uh, how much more he can do is a big open question before he puts Tesla at risk. So, right. I mean, does he really want to put Tesla at risk to buy Twitter? By my calculation, I figure he can, you know, he probably needs another, you know, $15 billion of money from other people. And that's why you see things like Apollo and Toma Bravo, Bravo Toma, uh, these, these private equity firms talking about uh, potentially uh, helping him finance the bid. I mean, isn't Elon's money all tied up in Tesla and SpaceX? In other words, like he doesn't have $43 billion in cash sitting around. So that's why he would have to go to these outside partners, right? Yeah, the, the truth is we don't know how much. Uh, we know that he's worth $275 billion. We know that $175 billion of that is in Tesla stock. He knows, I'm sure Morgan Stanley must know, how much of that is cash or can be turned into cash. You know, he's obviously taken cash out in the past to pay taxes on his stock grants. We just don't know how much is left and available. And again, at some point, if he margins the Tesla stock and then Tesla stock trades down because mm -hmm. suddenly it looks like its largest shareholder is has pledged his Tesla stock to something else. And, you know, the Tesla stock is always a bit of on a knife edge anyway. It's trading, you know, it's the company's worth a trillion dollars and hugely overvalued. So, you know, it could go down just as quickly as it's gone up. So if it goes down, then he gets margin calls, then he loses control of the stock. Then, you know, next thing you know, it's a death spiral for Tesla and he will have lost everything that he put into Tesla to buy Twitter, which I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to do. That's why he's got to find some outside money so that this thing doesn't get out of control. Now, of course, outside money is going to cost him a fair amount. It's going to be expensive. You know, these private equity guys are not exactly philanthropic organizations. They know he needs the money and they're going to, they're going to charge him a lot for the money. Do you have any sense of which players in this drama are supportive of Elon taking over Twitter and which people are opposed to it? Like, are there people on the board who are like calling around being like, yo, can someone box this guy out right now? Whether or not they actually think this, uh, people on the board think this offer is a, a good one and a fair one and a real one, they are sort of obliged to find anybody, see if there's anybody out there but Elon Musk to buy this company. So that's what uh -huh. Goldman Sachs is doing. Problem is that there's no one else out there to buy this company at $43 billion dollars. I mean, it's, I mean, it's makes a billion dollars of EBITDA on a good year. So that's 43 times EBITDA. That's just a, you know, a very, very high valuation for a company that's yes. really a bunch of headaches. So why would you want to buy it? So I think, you know, it's clear that there's no one else out there to potentially buy the company. So if his financing firms up, 
and he can show uh, the Tesla board and Goldman Sachs that he actually has the $43 billion, then they're going to have to deal with him. Why would Apollo want to help him take over? Uh, Apollo is in the business of uh, making money and it's in the business of putting money to work. It's got, uh, you know, something like $500 billion worth of assets under management. And, you know, here's a situation where basically your counterparty or your partner is the world's richest man. I mean, they own Yahoo. So if they're willing to buy Yahoo for $5 billion, you think they would be willing to put money into Twitter. They can probably uh, structure the deal in a very advantageous way for Apollo. In other words, they can charge a lot of money for that money. And Elon will have no choice but to pay it, basically. And they'll get a nice return. They, you know, Everything is driven by returns. If they can make a good return on an investment, that's really all they care about. Twitter was cash flow negative last year. So how do you transform this company and make money off of it? Well, actually last year it made about $55 million in EBITDA, but that was after a $750 million charge for a a legal settlement. So what they do on Wall Street is they say, okay, forget that $750 million uh, legal charge. That was a one-time expense. Without that, we would have made $800 million, okay? So the year before, they made like $900 million of EBITDA. The year before that, they made like $950. So, you know, if you want to be generous and say that, you know, somehow they'll make a billion dollars this year of EBITDA, then that's the way Wall Street looks at it. They say, okay, how much can we leverage the billion dollars or, you know, the billion dollars in 2022? And then these projections, I'm sure, you know, they'll have a getting to 2 billion and 3 billion and, you know, by year five and everybody will say, oh yeah, right. Okay. Of course. Elon is going to have to put together a business plan with projections and show it to people like Apollo and Apollo, you know, is going to have to buy off on it. All right. The last thing I want to ask you, obviously you're not here to give investment advice, but you know, betting odds, like, does it feel like Musk has momentum here that this is going to happen? Look, it's all going to come down to when he can tell the world that he has the financing. If he doesn't do that in soon, I would say in the next couple of weeks. And what's going to happen next is that the board is going to say, forget it, we reject your offer. It's not financed. It's subject to due diligence. It's got too many outs, so it's too low. Forget it, you're gone. If he can't come back in response to that and say, okay, but by the way, now I've got this fully financed and you have to deal with me. The moment he says he's got it fully financed, then it's game over. If he can't get it fully financed, then the board can just say no and it'll go away. And this will be another one of those Elon Musk episodes that we talk about. <laughs> well, we will have you back on in a few days, Bill, and I'm sure there will be another update in this drama. Thank you so much, man. Yes. Talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Teddy Schleifer on his beat right now. Hey, thanks, Peter. I've been thinking a lot about Peter Thiel for the last couple of months. Some of the narrative that's been cast about Thiel, who is, of course, the billionaire venture capitalist who placed an early investment in Facebook that made him uh, one of Silicon Valley's wealthiest people. I've been thinking a lot about how important he truly is in modern Republican politics. There's been this vacuum that's been created, Peter, at, at the top of the GOP with the death of Sheldon Adelson, the death of David Koch. Does Peter Thiel want to fill that void? You talk with some, frankly, other reporters, and they seem to think he does. I've always felt like a skeptic. I've always been unsure about whether or not he's interested in sort of world domination or if it just so happens that two of his allies, two of his mentees really, are running for Senate in the same year. One of those people is Blake Masters, who is running for the Republican Senate seat in Arizona. The other is J.D. Vance. Vance has been in the news uh, over the last couple of days because of the fact that he just won the Trump endorsement in Ohio. Um, That election's in just two weeks. So Teal is facing kind of his big first test whether or not he can get Vance elected to the Senate. He's given them each $10 million, but that's just the start. You know, I've reported as part of the story that Peter just cut another big check to J.D. Vance's super PAC. He helped J.D. Vance get the Trump endorsement that just came through a couple of days ago. So Peter Thiel is sort of on a hot streak. What does it mean long-term? I think that's one of the big questions I went into this story with. I wanted to know whether or not Teal was going to be doing this for forever. Like, does he really care about who wins the Oregon Senate seat in 2028? Or is it just, uh, you know, a Teal and and Masters and Vance production where he cares about these two people? And I think the honest answer, if you talk with friends and associates of Peter's, like I have over the last week, the honest answer is he doesn't know. The honest answer is it depends on part and how people like Vance do. If you're a mega donor, and you donate $10 million, $20 million, $30 million, when all of a sudden done to a bunch of guys, and they run for office, and they lose, maybe even lose badly, 
you'd feel like this was all a waste of time, wouldn't you? You'd feel like this was not something that was worth the effort. And that's sort of where I think Peter is in the case of JD's loss. If he wins, you got a very different story, right? You, you have uh, a win can be intoxicating, uh, whether it's in sports or in politics or in tech. And if he wins, I think JD is going to not just be a U.S. senator, but I think Peter Thiel is going to be feeling emboldened and be almost a power broker figure. So that's what's on my mind. I wrote a story about it for Puck. It is called the Peter Thiel DC Gateway Drug. Uh, and that drug is, is, is winning. Uh, that drug is JD Vance. So give it a read. And Peter, back to you. Hopefully I'll be on the pod soon. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 